Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. Hey, hey, everyone. So many of you have commented that you actually feel like home when I say welcome home during my show. And honestly, that's exactly what I hope you feel when you hear my show. For anyone with a military connection, you know that many times the military becomes home and talking about your time in the military may bring back good memories or bad memories, but it brings you back to those days. Anyway, when I say welcome home, it's because you guys have become like my family. All right, everyone, if you've been here since episode one, you know that it has been a long time. And unless you follow me on social media, you may not have seen that there have been a few updates some of them major updates in cases that I have covered in the last 117 episodes. So I wanted to take this third Monday of the month to bring you these updates. I will also add the sources for this updated information directly into the show notes. So that way you can feel free to read the case updates at your leisure. And with that, these are the cases that I will be discussing today. Episode 48 on Katie Blavel, episode 14 on Bethany Decker, Episodes 29 and 30 on Julie Scheneker, episode 34 on George Floyd, episodes 35 and 77 on Enrique Roman Martinez, episode 41 on Elder Fernandez, and finally, episode 65 on Logan Melger. Before we begin, I did want to inform everyone that if you have a listener tale, if you have a story that you want to share with the True Crime Army, I am accepting stories now because I am going to be releasing an episode called Tales from the Trenches. I'll include the link in my show notes if you want to submit your story. All right, that's it. Now, let's dig in. News tonight, an upstate man on the run since 2016, who investigators say killed his estranged wife, is now in custody. A push for a new trial for Julie Scheneker, the woman convicted of killing her two kids. Exclusive, a local soldier stationed at Fort Bragg goes on a Memorial Day weekend camping trip but never returns. And we were finally able to meet with Fort Hood leaders and they were able to clarify some questions that we had about the Fernandez case, specifically about the assault allegations that he had made and the last time that they saw him. follow-up to a story we first told you about in early June. Marine Corps Gunnery Sergeant Mario Madera Rodriguez was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and conspiracy to commit assault and battery among other charges. You may recall in episode 48 where I told you about the murder of 22-year-old military spouse Katie Blavel. She was married to John Blavel, the Army recruiter that partied with underage kids in hopes that they would sign up for the Army. Well, Katie was murdered in South Carolina in October of 2016, and for one entire day, she was just missing. Authorities questioned John about his young wife, but he had nothing to say. 
Eventually, Katie's body was discovered in an old abandoned house where John, Katie, and some other local kids used to party. She had been stabbed to death. By the time authorities had the probable cause needed to arrest John for Katie's murder, he had gone on the run. As a bonus episode for the bootcamp patrons and above, I interviewed Katie's young cousin who lived with John and Katie for a while, and she told us more about their lifestyle and the many marital problems that they had. Well, after six years of being on the run, I am thrilled to inform you that just recently, John Blavelt was captured in Oregon. Yes, he's now 33 years old and was arrested in Medford, Oregon in July of 2022. Oxygen reported that John's capture was led by the Pacific Northwest Violent Offender Task Force, which was in essence led by the U.S. Marshals and the Medford Police. The task force got wind of his location after receiving a tip earlier this year. John Blavelt was living under the assumed name of Ben Klein. While John's capture will not bring Katie back, her family is happy that Katie's suspected murderer will be brought to justice. Katie's mom, Patricia Piver, told the press, quote, Losing a child is unbearable. We knew John did it, but when he ran, our hearts sank. And then he disappeared off the face of the map. And months turned into years. And now five and a half years later, I mean, you lose hope and you just got to find something to hold on to. But getting that call yesterday, I'm still shaking. It was the most amazing phone call ever, end quote. John's bail has thankfully been denied. Early on in episode 14, I told you about the tragic disappearance of a pregnant military spouse by the name of Bethany Decker. 21-year-old Bethany Decker went missing back in 2011, and she has never been found. While her military husband at the time has been cleared of any wrongdoing, the suspect in Bethany's case, a boyfriend by the name of Ronald Rolden, well, he spent some time in jail for the brutal attack on a subsequent girlfriend. Well, in November of 2020, when then 40-year-old Ronald thought that he'd be walking out of the North Carolina jail for the attack on his girlfriend that nearly killed her, he was instead extradited back to Virginia. And Virginia was where Bethany vanished. And when he was there, he was charged with abduction. A month later, in December of 2020, Ronald Rolden was indicted on the charge of second-degree murder. Rolden's trial is scheduled to begin in January of 2023. It should be noted that it does appear that Bethany's body has never been found. No body murder cases are tough to win but they have been won at trial. I will definitely be keeping you up to date when I hear more, especially after Rolden's trial. This next case involved the murder of children, so skip ahead if you don't want to hear about it. I covered this next case in two parts, episode 29 and episode 30. In those episodes, I covered military veteran and military spouse Julie Scheneker, who back in 2011 killed her two teenage kids while her husband was deployed. That was a very difficult case to cover because it clearly delved into mental health issues. But in all honesty, it was evident that Julie Scheneker had the wherewithal to plan out the brutal murder of her two kids. You might recall that back in 2014, she was sentenced to two life sentences. Well, just this year, now 61-year-old Julie Scheneker has filed an appeal requesting a new trial due to ineffective assistance of counsel. An appeal, which she filed pro se, by the way, according to the Tampa Bay Times. While I have not personally seen the appeal myself, 
Tampa Bay Times reported that Julie made over 20 legal claims, some of which the prosecutors have conceded require a hearing. Portions of her appeal include that her attorney didn't challenge her competency to stand trial. She claims that she was confused during portions of her trial. She had difficulty communicating with her attorney. And she even claims that at one point during trial, she had an emotional breakdown. Now, during the episodes on Julie Scheneker, I discussed Julie's 2015 interview with a reporter. And honestly, in watching that interview, it is evident to me, at least, that she was likely heavily medicated during that interview. I don't know what she looked like during the trial, but this is all something that will be taken up in appeal. Another argument that Julie makes in her appeal is that she wanted to testify in her own defense, but her attorneys urged her not to. In July of 2022, Fox 13 Tampa Bay reported that Julie's name came up yet again in court when Julie hand wrote a two-page letter complaining that she was not receiving her proper medication while in jail. Her doctor died earlier this year, which led to a lapse in her medication, which Julie describes as not being able to take her medication, causing her extreme pain. The judge was rightfully pissed about this lapse of medication for Julie and agreed to send a letter to the jail to fix the issue with the medication stat. Finally, Julie is scheduled to appear in court in October of 2022 to attempt to win a new trial. If she continues to represent herself, this will make for a very interesting appeal, and I will be sure to keep you all posted. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy. And it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Back in the summer of 2020, I brought you the case of George Floyd in episode 34. Well, a lot has happened in that case in the last two years. The following discussion comes in two parts. First, I will discuss the federal charges. Then I will discuss the state charges, although some of the state charges concluded before the federal charges. 
I know this is a little bit confusing, so just bear with me. Remember the discussion of Derek Chauvin? He was basically the culprit police officer. Well, according to a Department of Justice press release dated July 7th, 2022, in December of 2021, Derek Chauvin pled guilty in federal court to, quote, violating a federal criminal civil rights statute on two separate occasions. First, Chauvin pled guilty to willfully depriving Mr. Floyd of his constitutional right to be free from the use of unreasonable force by a police officer, resulting in Mr. Floyd's bodily injury and death, end quote. The press release continues, quote, Chauvin also pled guilty to willfully depriving a then 14-year-old child of his constitutional right to be freed from the use of unreasonable force by a police officer, resulting in the child's bodily injury, end quote. While I was personally aware of what happened to George Floyd from all the news coverage and everything, I was not privy to an incident with a 14-year-old until I read this press release. The incident with the 14-year-old took place on September 4th, 2017. And the press release describes that Chauvin held the child by the throat and then struck the child multiple times in the head with the flashlight. In the plea agreement, Chauvin admitted that he held his knee on the child's neck, shoulders, and upper back for between 15 and 16 minutes, even though the child was face down on the floor, handcuffed and not resisting, end quote. For these crimes, Derek Chauvin was sentenced to 21 years in federal prison. A few months later, on February 24th, 2022, the other three officers who were present when George Floyd was murdered to Tao J. Alexander Kyung and Thomas Lane, they were convicted of violating the same federal criminal civil rights statute as Chauvin. The jury found that Tao and Kyung failed to intervene in Chauvin's use of excessive force on George. Therefore, the court said they willfully deprived George Floyd of his constitutional rights. All three additional officers were found to have willfully deprived George of his right to be free from a police officer's deliberate indifference to his serious medical needs. Basically, they saw and heard his cries for help, i.e. I can't breathe, and they did nothing. And the jury found that all three officers contributed to the resulting injuries and subsequent death of George Floyd. According to reporting by Police One, Thomas Lane was sentenced to two and a half years in the Federal Correctional Institution, Englewood, located in Littleton, Colorado. His report date into prison is August 30th. J. Alexander Kyung was sentenced to three years, and Tu Tao was sentenced to three and a half years, as reported by NPR. Now, everything I said above is just for the federal charges. That's it for the federal piece. Now let's discuss the state piece. The four officers involved in George Floyd's death were also charged by the state. Chauvin, if you recall, was charged with second-degree murder of George Floyd. The Minnesota versus Derek Chauvin trial was highly publicized everywhere, and many people watched it on YouTube. Chauvin's state trial began in March of 2021 and concluded in April of 2021. The jury found Chauvin guilty of second and third degree murder and second degree manslaughter in the killing of George Floyd. On June 25, 2021, Chauvin was sentenced in state court to 22 and a half years. His state and federal sentences will run concurrently, meaning at the same time. The three other officers present were charged with aiding and abetting both murder and manslaughter after George Floyd's death. In May of 2022, Thomas Lane pled guilty to aiding and abetting manslaughter. 
Under the plea agreement, according to reporting by CBS News, Lane agreed to serve three years in prison, released after two, with the recommendation being for federal prison, not state prison. The original second-degree murder charge was dropped. The official sentencing for the state charges in this case will take place on September 21, 2022. George Floyd's legal team released a statement after Lane's plea agreement was accepted. It said in part, quote, Today's guilty plea by former officer Thomas Lane brings the Floyd family another step towards closure for the horrific murder of George Floyd, end quote. The statement continued, quote, Hopefully, this plea helps usher in a new era where officers understand that juries will hold them accountable just as they would any other citizen, end quote. And well, just the week that I was compiling all these new articles, we had an update on the last two remaining officers, Kyung and Tao. On August 15, 2022, Kyung and Tao rejected plea deals from the state that would require them to serve three years in prison. As reported by CBS News, state trial for these two officers is scheduled for October of this year. Opening statements would begin in November. After the pleas were turned down, Attorney General Keith Ellison said in a statement, quote, the defendants have a right to decline the offer and proceed to trial. The state is ready for trial, end quote. These two men are also appealing their federal convictions. Now, that is it for the actual case. But something that I haven't seen highly publicized is an issue that arose surrounding Derek Chauvin's security in jail after he was arrested. As reported by ABC News, on May 29, 2020, Steve Lydon, the then superintendent of the Ramsey County Adult Detention Center, and this was a detention center where Derek Chauvin was being held after his arrest, well, Steve Lydon issued an order. He, no kidding, banned correction officers of color from entering the fifth floor where Derek Chauvin was being held. The order only lasted about an hour, after which I'm assuming that Steve Lydon received legal counsel and was told this was unconstitutional. But in that one hour, the harm was done. During that hour, eight correction officers of color were not allowed to do their jobs. These eight corrections officers filed discrimination charges with the Minnesota Department of Human Rights in June of 2020. Those filings were later sealed, but in February of 2021, the complaint included multiple violations of race color discrimination and complaints of a hostile work environment. Some of the plaintiffs even claimed retaliation. Well, it was reported by Kiera Afonseca on August 11, 2022, that the officers settled out of court for $1.5 million. I have been talking about Enrique Roman Martinez since he vanished in May of 2020, and even after his partial human remains washed ashore a week later. I cover Enrique's case in episode 35 and then again on episode 77, where I had the pleasure of interviewing his sister and family attorney. While his case is still unsolved and no one, I repeat, no one has been charged with his murder, there is an update about the case or in relation to his case. The seven soldiers who were camping with Enrique have been charged with minor offenses connected to the weekend that Enrique vanished back during Memorial Weekend 2020. While some of the court martials are still pending, some of the cases have been resolved. The seven fellow soldiers who were charged are as follows. Sergeant Samuel Moore, Private First Class Samad Landrum, Private Anna Marie Cochell, Specialist Juan Avila, Specialist Alex Becerra, Specialist Joshua Curry, 
and specialist Benjamin Sibley. As reported by Rachel Riley from the Fayetteville Observer, here is a lengthy, I'm going to say lengthy direct quote from the article because I just don't want to screw anything up. And this is what she wrote, quote, all seven soldiers are charged each with one count of conspiracy and failure to obey a direct order or regulation tied to the traveling more than 50 miles from Fort Bragg when there was a travel ban during the COVID-19 pandemic, according to court documents. According to court documents, Becerra, Hochel, and Landrum are each charged with using LSD, a hallucinogenic drug. Becerra is charged with three counts of disobeying a superior. Hochel is charged with two counts of disobeying a superior. And Curry is charged with one count of disobeying a superior. Avila is charged with one count of making a false statement. Sibley, Landrum, and Curry are charged with two counts of making a false statement. And Becerra is charged with three counts of making a false statement. According to the charge sheets, Becerra, Cochell, and Landrum all told investigators that they left the island at 3 a.m. on May 22, 2020, to board a ferry in Davis, North Carolina, but omitted the presence of a fourth soldier. Sibley and Curry reportedly told investigators that three soldiers left the group on a ferry, but omitted the presence of a fourth soldier, according to the charge sheets. Prosecutors allege that Sibley, Curry, Landrum, and Becerra all told investigators that they were not aware of drug use during the trip. The charge sheets say that Cochell, Curry, and Becerra violated supervisor orders by each having contact with a soldier they were prohibited from having contact with from November 30th, 2020 to February 2021, end quote. Whew, that was a lot. In June of this year, Rachel Riley with the Fayetteville Observer also reported the result of the first court-martial that of Alex Becerra, the 911 caller, which if you've listened to episode 35, you can hear the entirety of that call. Well, Becerra pled guilty to using LSD and disobeying a superior officer. For the remaining charges, he pled not guilty. After the two-day trial, the military judge during the judge alone trial found Becerra not guilty of conspiracy and not guilty of lying to investigators about the use of drugs. Becerra was ultimately sentenced to reduction in rank to private. Military.com has reported that Alex Becerra was administratively discharged from the Army. Just to backtrack just a little bit, because that was a lot, that was like a mouthful. It was evident that the military judge during Becerra's trial was not going to be entertaining any chatter about murder during the court-martial, which was proper. During a trial, you can only bring in relevant evidence to the charges. That being said, however, of course, the circumstances of Enrique's disappearance and subsequent discovery, it's all kind of intertwined. And it ultimately was brought up. But Sarah said that he honestly thought Enrique went for a walk and was shocked when he hadn't returned. But Sarah called 911 and then notified his chain of command. Of everything that happened to Enrique, Becerra said, quote, if I could trade places with him, I would, end quote. A CID agent actually testified for Becerra that Becerra was cooperative throughout the investigation. Becerra did take responsibility for using LSD, but during the trial, he told the judge that, well, Enrique was the one who brought the LSD. And basically, Becerra says he felt peer pressured into using it. At this trial, Cochell and Landrum also testified 
They testified that Enrique brought the LSD and provided it to members of the group. Landrum testified that on the night that Enrique vanished, Enrique actually accused another soldier of stealing his wallet. Landrum tended to believe that Enrique was just feeling the effects of the LSD during the accusation. That night, there was a thunderstorm and a few of the soldiers freaked out. So Landrum, Becerra, Cochell, Enrique, and Curry took shelter in Becerra's Jeep until the storm passed. Then they allegedly each returned to their tents. Landrum testified that he was the first to fall asleep. And when he woke up in the morning, Moore, the senior enlisted person, told him that Enrique was missing. Cochell confirmed the soldiers took shelter in the Jeep and basically confirmed that everybody went to sleep. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Before Becerra's trial, Cochell and Landrum were granted immunity in exchange for testimony against Becerra. Their, quote, deal included no more than 30 days in confinement and that the convictions wouldn't reflect on their records. Now, don't quote me on this, but this sounds weird. This leads me to believe that Cochell and Landrum were actually offered an opportunity at a summary court-martial, which is basically an elevated non-judicial punishment, a.k.a. Article 15. It's really not a court-martial at all. And the person who sits as judge if I recall correctly, doesn't even have to be a judge at all, like a real judge. But listen, I'm not 100% sure that this is what happened in this case, but any conviction at a special or general court-martial would reflect in military and criminal records. In any event, Cochell's name was never mentioned in the soldiers' initial statements because Becerra allegedly told at least one of the other soldiers not to mention her presence on the camping trip. From the articles that I have read, I gathered that Cochell had gotten in trouble for underage drinking earlier in the year, so her boyfriend, Becerra, didn't want her to get in further trouble by being on the camping trip. With that said, no one, I repeat, no one mentioned Cochell's presence because they were never specifically questioned as to her presence. Becerra's attorney made it clear during the trial that they didn't lie. In actuality, authorities didn't become aware of Cochell's presence on the camping trip until a few days later when she volunteered the information to an NCO. Also, some or all of the soldiers were ordered not to talk to each other. But this didn't happen until months later. 
Enrique was murdered in May and they weren't given a no contact order until November. Of course, according to Becerra, this no contact order was nearly impossible for him to keep against Coachelle because she was his girlfriend and they were dating. Becerra did admit during his court martial to speaking to his girlfriend, of course, and also to speaking to Curry because they had been friends for a long time. And according to him, it felt like he was the only person who understood his predicament. However, they claim to have never spoken about the ongoing investigation. Well, as reported by the Fayetteville Observer on August 15th of this year, in July of 2022, Sergeant Samuel Moore, the most senior soldier on the camping trip, was court-martialed. He pled guilty to one count of conspiracy and two counts of providing a false statement in the investigation into Roman Martinez's disappearance. The Fayetteville Observer reported that Moore was sentenced to reduction in rank to specialist and forfeiture of two-thirds pay for one month. In August of 2022, specialist Joshua Curry pled guilty to one count of failure to obey a lawful order and one count of dereliction of duty. He was sentenced to reduction in rank to private first class and he was confined for 10 days. Landrum's trial is set for mid-September this year. Sibley's trial is set for mid-September as well. Coachell's trial is set for the end of September and Avila's trial is set for the end of October. With all that said, Enrique's case remains open with a $50,000 reward for information. But as reported by the New York Post, Army CID has confirmed that his case has officially been moved to cold case status. Back in summer of 2020, I brought you the missing soldier case of Elder Fernandez in episode 41. Elder Fernandez was a soldier out of Fort Hood who went missing in August of 2020 after he was released from a medical institution for suicidal ideations. He was allegedly dropped off at a friend's house in Killeen, Texas. It wasn't until he didn't report to work the following day that people started looking for him. Elder was officially reported missing on August 18th. Sadly, after I released my episode on Elder, it was reported that on August 25th, Elder was discovered dead near Lake Polk in Temple, Texas. The location of the body was about 30 miles from Fort Hood. As reported by USA Today, Elder was discovered, quote, hanging from a tree in Temple, Texas, end quote. While everyone thought that Elder's death was suspicious because of the circumstances and because he was found so far from where he lived, and remember, his car was parked on base, there is no indication how Elder would have gotten to this location. Besides, I don't know, maybe hitchhiking, paying for a ride or getting a ride from someone either known or unknown. In any event, the Temple Police almost immediately said that they did not suspect foul play. When we first learned about Elder, we knew that Elder had recently reported a sexual assault, bullying and harassment at work. Of course, the subject of that report, meaning Elder's allegation, well, that person was allegedly really looked at when Elder disappeared. But according to reporting in USA Today, the alleged perpetrator, the person who made Elder's life a living hell, was cleared after passing a polygraph test. Sadly, in this case, the unit knew the Elder was missing, but they didn't involve CID until 48 hours later. Elder's case has officially been ruled a suicide. According to reporting by Rose Thayer of Stars and Stripes, Elder had been acting strange leading up to his death. In fact, a few months prior to his death, 
Elder married his sister's friend in a sham military marriage. It was alleged he got married just to be able to move out of the barracks. The sad part is he was supposed to move into his new place just days before he died. My last update for you comes in the case of Logan Melger, the Green Beret that was murdered in Mali. I covered his case in episode 65. When I brought you the story, three of the four culprits had already been tried. One Marine Raider, a gunnery sergeant by the name of Mario Madera Rodriguez, was pending a court-martial. You might recall that the first three pled guilty. However, Madera Rodriguez was the only one to plead not guilty. Well, as reported by NBC News, Madera Rodriguez was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and many other charges. He was, however, acquitted of the felony murder charge. For his role in the hazing incident gone bad, Madera Rodriguez was sentenced to six months confinement and a reduction in rank to private. Joseph Choi reported that he was also sentenced to hard labor. You might recall that Madera Rodriguez was the one who used a sledgehammer to open the door. His sentence was light considering he was facing 27 and a half years in prison. Also, it should be noted that he did not receive a punitive discharge. All right, that's a wrap, True Crime Army. I am so sorry that it has taken me this long to bring you this update episode via podcast format. Honestly, I am pretty good about posting updates on my Instagram stories, so make sure that you follow me there at Military Murder Podcast. That way you never miss an update. As always, y'all, thank you so much for listening and supporting this show. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and is produced in collaboration with my boot camp and higher fan club members. The music was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. Hey, True Crime Army, before you leave, I wanted to introduce you to a show that I have been listening to for a while now. It's called Moms and Murder. Moms and Murder is a weekly true crime podcast hosted by my friends, Melissa and Mandy. And I, like most of you, am kind of a picky podcast listener. But these ladies are top notch. And don't just take my word for it. You can find them in the top of the true crime podcast charts weekly. So clearly, I have good taste. <laughs> but I'm going to let them tell you more about their show. And honestly, go check them out today. Hey guys, if you're looking for your next binge-worthy podcast and you like your true crime light on the gore, then you should check out our show, Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast hosted by myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Some of our recent episodes include one about the craziest hotel bombing you've never heard of, the crimes of Lou Pearlman, and even the murder of pop superstar Selena. Each Tuesday, we give our take on a new crime story, balancing our delivery of facts and levity while still giving the stories the respect they deserve and making you feel like you're part of our conversation. Moms and Murder covers both the lesser known and the more familiar stories, and there are over 200 episodes to binge, so you can get started right now. Search Moms and Murder on your favorite podcast app and subscribe so you never miss a new episode.